Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. It is 26 minutes to the top of the hour. You're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Really do appreciate it. When last have you been to the doctor for just a checkup? Not because there's something wrong with you, not because you have an ailment that needs immediate medical attention, just to go for a checkup, to know what's wrong or to know what's going on in your body and if anything needs attention, uh, and to have a sense of, I guess, comfort that you're of good health. How do you know that you're of good health if you so claim to be? That is the conversation I want to have this evening. I'm in conversation with Dr. Aviwe Mbangata, who is a doctor. Uh, Dr. Mbangata, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, routine medical checkups, uh, not, for, not for the purposes of concern, but just for the purposes of uh, safety and, and precaution. How common are they in South Africa? Good evening um, to everyone who's um, listening. Um, my name is Dr. Magata. Um, you know, it's very, it, it's, we actually need to narrow it down. Before I answer the question, I think we need to narrow it down to the gender distribution, um, male versus female. And research shows that males commonly do not, sort of do not portray health-seeking behavior and often present um, to health facilities with complications. And that is attributed to many factors. Um, if we look at the cultural component, um, we still have societal ideologies that exist in, in cultures and in communities today where men have to portray a, a, a character of bravery. Um, and we also look at the environmental um, fa factors. Um, if we actually do enough as a public and the private sector, are we, you know, increasing a lot of, um, sorry, increasing information regarding certain health condition? Um, are we doing a lot of outreaches? Um, that's also, you know, questions that we need to pose upon ourselves. And also environmental. If we, you live in a in a society or in a, in a community where you're complacent. Um, with regards to your health, then you actually adapt to those habits, and then that's when you 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 you're in big trouble when it comes to your health. So if we if we look at the gender distribution, males are um, more affected than females when it comes to health seeking behavior. Yeah. So so I, I you know I'll tell you this. I've I've never gone to the doctor just for a routine health <laughs> checkup. It's not a thing I've yeah. done before and it's a thing I want to do, but I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah. I wouldn't know what to be tested for, what to, what questions to ask, what information yeah. to, 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 to extract. Uh, talk to me about a routine health checkup. If there's a 45-year-old man listening to this conversation who yeah. will feel inspired by it at the end of it and say, hey, look, I'm going to go to my GP tomorrow and I'm going to do this. Talk to me from start to finish what that would look like or should look like. So routine a routine checkup um, is 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 done based on the certain level of healthcare that you're in. So the 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 point of entry is primary healthcare, um, that's usually at clinics or um, in the public sector or in your in the private sector. It could be anywhere from a retail outlets um, pharmacy or your private GP. So we start off by doing your blood pressure um, as an invasive procedure. So you're checking if your blood pressure is within the normal range. It's usually if you have a systolic, which is the number on top, has to be between 90 to 140 and the di diastolic ideally should be, um, sorry, so between 60 and 80. Um, then you actually, after that, after screening, then your blood pressure is graded and then that um, is sort of monitored and intervention is, is, is taken. They also look at blood sugar levels. 
to screen for diabetes. Um, if your blood sugar is abnormal, then you are referred to to the to relevant institution for further investigations. That given that you um, have a family history or have lifestyle um, um, conditions that um, or practices that predispose you to diabetes. And then um, the second step that is taken is when we look at laboratory investigations. So those are the investigations that are um, sent out to the lab just to screen if you don't have any bleeding tendencies or bleeding disorders, to check if you have um, normal kidney function and if it is impaired, then you know it, it warrants further investigation. And then also looking at HOST, which is HIV and sex, um, sexually transmitted infections and tuberculosis. So we do routine HIV screening, sexually screening for sexually transmitted infections um, based on risk factors as well as um, lastly TB based on contact and also living conditions. And then after that, um, screening can also be confined different based on different patient um, patient population groups. So if we look at women women's health, if you have a of childbearing age, which is usually the age where you start getting your your periods or your menstrual cycle up until menopause, if you've got irregular um, menstrual irregular menstrual cycle um, cycle, then that's usually a red flag because it shows that you are, can be predisposed to certain gynecological conditions. Um, and then also if you have an issue with conceiving or alternatively, if you have recurrent miscarriages, then that also um, further screening is also done with regards to that. And then if we look at males, um, males don't often, as I also mentioned, that they often don't usually present to facilities. If you've got issues with um, any issues with your your reproductive system, having blood in your urine or have lost weight, um, then what we usually do is that we, we, we screen for prostate cancer, usually if you are predisposed to it or above the age of 16. So, so let's just quickly go back to uh, a female reproductive uh, uh, screening, right? You mentioned there that if you have an irregular period, that it yes. usually triggers uh, further uh, sort of uh, investigation. What sort of investigation is that? Is it an endocrinological investigation um, or is there a specific set of tests that needs to be done for that? Okay, so it 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 varies based on risk factors. If you've got any risk, any family history of fibroids, endometriosis, or PCOS, um, or any cancers, and then if you do have an irregular um cycle, what the, what is usually done is that they have to exclude medical causes that can actually cause irregular menstruation. If that is then out, then they can um do some further investigations or um, imaging to, to, to conduct it. So what usually is done is that the um, bloods are usually taken to see if you, do, if you don't have any thyroid issues or um, bleeding disorders. And then the second um, line of investigation would be then doing an ultrasound, an ultrasound which can be done by a GP. Um, an ultrasound will then show structural causes that can attribute to, to you having irregular menstruation. And then after that, a, gyne um, a referral to a gynecologist is done to, to, to explore the, the underlying condition. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that for a man, if there's perhaps uh, pee, uh, uh, blood in your urine, that's, that usually triggers a prostate examination. Shouldn't men just be yeah. testing for prostate cancer just generally as a common, as a routine practice, the way women are being encouraged to test for, to feel for lumps uh, as, as, as a breast cancer screening exercise? Yes, um, because we live in a society whereby the environmental component plays a huge role in the development of, of 
um, post, well, not prostate cancer, but um, health issues related to men. Men should be routinely um, getting screened for prostate cancer, especially if they have a family history. So someone from the immediate family, whether it's from their maternal side or from their father's side, um, should be screened for prostate cancer. Um, and then also if they do have the red flags, because men sometimes can be asymptomatic and then they, they present with complications when the cancer has been spread or when it it hasn't been found. So they should also be routinely um these uh, sorry, be routinely screened um from the ages of 30 and onwards. Or if they do have a strong family history, then they can be explored. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about some of the other stuff. And this pertains to some of more the lifestyle questions, right? You mentioned that uh, they'll check for your, uh, they'll look at your blood pressure, they'll look at your sugar pressure, uh, your sugar levels or uh, diabetic screening, they'll look at your cholesterol levels, and then they'll do a BMI assessment, for instance. Um, yes. That those assessments, I maybe incorrectly or correctly assume, pertain to uh, is a reflection of sort of your your lifestyle, right? Um, yes. Usually when you get that information back and doctor tells you, hey, this is what your cholesterol looks like. This is where your BMI is and this is where your blood pressure levels are. And this is where your, uh, uh, you know, red blood cells levels are in comparison to your white blood cells levels or whatever the case may be. And this is where your, 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 your blood sugar levels are. What do I do with that information? So firstly, with the information, um, you 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 presented with the with the information re, re, sorry regarding your metabolic assessment and a multidisciplinary action, um, approach is taken where you refer to well you are counseled firstly on life on, on your lifestyle um you're actually well the data is interpreted according to a lifestyle that you have to take certain lifestyle measures to sort of curb the the effect that it has on your on your on your on your on your body at the moment and then a, a referral to a dietitian is usually made um, where they actually tailor a plan based on your socioeconomic profile, but also as well as your 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 your, your assessment, your nutrition assessment, um, and then they we actually try and sort of help patients to to manage their life lifestyle um, first, firstly, and then after um, two to three attempts, or based on the protocol that is, is followed, then medical intervention where um, patients have to be put on treatment in order to to, to um, counteract the effects that the condition has on their, their life. And then you begin to make those sort of adjustments. So let's say your BMI is off and uh, yeah. you now learned that even though you never knew it, you might learn that you're obese. Uh, yes. uh, what next? You then your doctor then says, "Look, we need to make adjustments. This is how much weight you need to lose." Typically, that yes. means you now have to go and see—I don't know—a dietitian, perhaps, or whatever the case yes. may be. Uh, now it's starting to sound like an expensive process. Um, not necessarily, um, because I think that in society we tend to attribute—you know—we we tend to think that being healthy means you know, we, we tend to perceive that healthy lifestyle is expensive. Um, as I mentioned that we, in South Africa, we have a dual um, health system with what a public and a private, uh, a public and a private health system. So depending on which system sort of ties in with your socioeconomic profile, then measures are uh, measures or sort of facilities are available. If we look at the public sector, um, as I mentioned that your first point, your first point of entry is a, a clinic. We do have dietitians that offer a free service in clinics. Um, where an integrated approach is usually taken, and then where patients can um, also um, get sort of get those services. Um, in terms of tailoring your your lifestyle in order to be healthy, 
a, a healthy lifestyle does not necessarily necessarily have to be expensive because if we look at the socioeconomic profile of our patient population, um, we have a lot of, well, majority of our patient population are subsistence farmers. So you can actually grow your own crops. You can, you know, sort of eat your, your vegetables that you grow. You don't necessarily have to buy at a as a at a at a as a sorry as a grocery um, um facility, and then also exercising does not equate to you joining the gym and paying a membership. You can you know by just taking a um, a walk, running, um and just being active instead of you know being immobile makes a huge difference. It may not necessarily solve the underlying problem, but it actually helps with the symptoms, but also the effect that it can have on your body. Give us a call if you have a question or a comment. I'd like to hear from you. 086-000-2032. That is the number to dial. 086-000-2032. I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice note on 0614-104-107. 0614-104-107. I'm in conversation doctor, with Dr. Avriam Bangata. And we're talking about health-seeking behaviors and routine medical checkups. Perhaps you should be going for an annual checkup uh, very, very soon. And this is the information that you should be, uh, this is what you should be expecting from a process perspective, but also the sort of information you'll be getting and what to do with that information. That's the conversation we've been having up until now. Everywhere, perhaps to this, uh, and, and I think this is critically important because uh, for the most part, right, like I said, I wouldn't know what to do if I got there. Is there specific yeah. information that I should be, collecting right now, reflecting on right now, that I should take to my doctor uh, and not necessarily be prompted for that information when I do a routine checkup? Uh, I beg your pardon, can you please repeat your, your question? Is there certain information that I should be collecting right now, that I should be volunteering to my doctor when I do a routine checkup and not necessarily wait for them to prompt it? And what is that sort of information that's useful for me to collect and disclose uh, upfront to my GP when I do a checkup? Okay, so the most important um, information that we, we need to disclose or sort of you know, um, disclose to, to healthcare practitioner is family history. Family history in hypertension, which is a silent killer, um, and we actually seeing like a rise amongst the youth now because in the past it used to be perceived as you know disease of 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 elderly people. Um, family history of any heart attacks, which can be from diabetes or hypertension. A family history of diabetes, because um, we can have type one diabetes, which is due to a genetic predisposition um, instead of um, your your lifestyle. And then also a family history of cancers is actually quite important. Um, and then certain information pertaining your lifestyle, if you're a smoker, if you use alcohol, because that predisposes you to metabolic conditions that can actually trigger um, diabetes and metabolic syndrome. Um, and then that, that can also ha like have a morbid, a morbid effect where patients can also end up having a stroke or a heart attack. So those are the most important, that's the most important information that has to be disclosed to, to the healthcare pr practitioners that um, a assessment and screening can be provided to the patient. When you talk about uh, family history, is, does it matter which side of the family it is? Is paternal family history more important than maternal or is it all equal? 
Um, not necessarily. It can be, it, 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 it depends on the degree of the generation within your family. So whether it's the paternal or maternal side, it does not matter. Um, although certain conditions present more in females, more, I'm sorry, in one, in one gender more than the other, it, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't sort of add weight with whether it's from the paternal side or the maternal side. So if, if I ask my mom tomorrow, hey man, do we, do we have a family history of cancer? And my mom says to me, yeah, my grandfather had cancer. That's four generations <laughs> removed from me. Is that yes. valuable or is it too far? Or is it too far? It, it, it is valuable history? because the further it is, then the, the less likely it, it is. So it's more, as I said, as I mentioned earlier, it's, like it's from immediate family. So your first generation, then the percentage um, sort of differs as you go up the generation or sort of the family tree. Yeah. So you mentioned yeah. there things like cancer, hypertension, um, uh, and 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 other forms of of, of uh, illnesses. But do yeah. do illnesses that we see as um, unthreatening is that important information? So, for instance, I'll tell you, I suffer from uh, sinusitis, right? Is that information that uh, pertains to family history? Should that be disclosed? Uh, if my mom is asthmatic, is that information to be disclosed? Or is it only certain medical uh, historical information? Um, I would just say from a, from a healthcare practitioner point of view, every inf health information or family history is important. Um, in the context of asthma, it would only be like more relevant in con dermatological conditions. Um, or if you've got a problem with your ears, nose and throats, if you've got a condition pertaining that, and then that's where it comes into it. it that, that's where it, it, it sort of um, helps. And then if also you're a smoker as well, then it just shows if you've maybe predisposed to any um, underlying lung problems or lung conditions. So it, it just helps with sort of creating a, um, a, a holistic approach towards your, your health profile. But um, yeah. certain conditions that are not life-threatening life become relevant um, based on how you present to, to, to the practice, um, to, as, to, sorry, to your healthcare provider. Uh, give us a call, 086 You can also send us a WhatsApp voice note on 0614-104-107. Nkosi, uh, Nkosi, good evening. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Uh, Go ahead. What's, what's your comment or question? Yeah, I just want to know, like I'm a truck driver, I'm doing long distance, so I don't have time to, to exercise. So what, mm. what I always do, I, uh, I drink water that I mix with uh, lemon and uh, garlic, but I'm just doing it. I don't know what are the benefits of it. So I just want to ask the doctor, what are the benefits yes. of drinking water with lemon and uh, garlic? Uh, is there any benefits? Is there anything that, that that can change my body or whatsoever? Um, to Was answer it? your question, sir, so the lemon and water and cucumber combination, that's very debatable because that's from a societal perspective. So what we do is that we offer advice or sort of um, um, interventions that are evidence-based. So, you know, if I, if I talk from a healthcare practi uh, practitioner point of view, if you're going to be drinking lemon, you know, constantly, it has citric acid and that can produce, predispose you to having ulcers. Um, but, the, but usually in society, they often say that if you drink lemon and water, then it helps to, to, to curb your appetite or it helps you to lose weight. Um, in essence, you should ideally your your weight gain or your weight loss or sort of um healthy lifestyle is dependent on the amount of calories that you eat so if the amount that you take in 
is not equal, is more than the amount that you t- t- take out, then you 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 can gain weight. So if you don't, I mean, in the context of you being a track driver, um, even if you can't be active because of your job, you can take certain lifestyle measures um, to, 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 to maintain a healthy lifestyle. So to answer your question, lemon and water isn't really evid- um, um, research or evidence-based, but um, that's based on what society perceives and not what we, we recommend from, from a healthcare practitioner's perspective. Yeah, oh, I, okay, is that, okay. thank okay. you so much, no, thank I, you so much for your call. Sure, sure. Thanks a lot. Um, and and, and uh, then to this, uh, I think an important part of this conversation, Aviwe, is that we speak about an annual health checkup, but how, how regular uh, should you be seeing a GP? Um, firstly, there's different policies that are implemented within our health system. So it, it and also it depends for in, in the context whether you're male or female. So in, in the context of female, we both genders, we actually prioritize the elderly. So from the age of 60, um, you need to do annual checkups, so like at least once every year. And then if you above the age of 18, for example, then it depends if you if you in a if we look at the the, the risk stratification approach, if you high risk, you've got a family history, you've got symptoms, then it really just depends on it, it, it's patient specific. So at least once a year to actually, if you asymptomatic, meaning that you're not showing any symptoms, then at least once a year. But if you are showing symptoms, then it does warrant regular checkups. And that there's no set number um, based on that because each patient is actually different. Yeah, and, and, and so to that age, I think it plays an important uh, factor in terms of how routine your your checkups may be. Um, and, and, and are there other factors as well that play a, a particular role? So gender, you've, 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 you've mentioned, can have an impact in that. Um, but does geography matter, right? Um, does it matter that you live in a dusty mining town uh, versus living on the coast, for instance? Your demographics don't necessarily play a role unless it's a risk factor for certain conditions. So if we, I'm just going to make a prime example. If you're in the, if you're in the rural areas, you exposed um, regularly to, to, to coal and as an, and as an alternative energy um, source, then we, we term it as biofuel exposure. That can predispose you to a lot of cancers, ranging from lung cancers to throat cancers. Um, but then if you're in the urban area and you're a smoker, you know, it's kind of like more or less the same risk. So um, if we look at it from a, a geographical point of view, it doesn't really play a role. But the most important one is definitely your age, pres- presence of symptoms, as well as um, gender distributions. I think those, those would, would ultimately be the top three that we'd look at that, that are the deciding factor. Yeah, I mean, it's important that uh, I, you know, see uh, medical professionals regularly and I collect the right information. But how do I know if I'm just being proactive versus being a hypochondriac? That's very important. <laughs> That's very important because we, we that also we, we do see that, see that also in, in practice. Um, as I also look, so as I mentioned earlier in, in the interview, that it, it's based on risk stratification, real risk, intermediate risk and high risk. So if you do have a family history um, and you don't have symptoms, then it, it, you, you need to do your routine annual checkups. But if you do have symptoms, um, then it does warrant you to to obviously be checked out. And then um, the, the present, sorry, the aspect of being a hypochondriac, 
that is something that we cannot control because then people become paranoid um, and that's sort of an element on its own that can be further explored. But um, it is sort of in human nature for people to panic because they think, oh, because someone in my family had this condition, maybe I do have it. So I think that also, and in, 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 in essence, we as healthcare practitioners need to also train ourselves in creating reassurance um, to, to patients in order to, to distinguish between the two. Yeah, and uh, is you, I guess also should tell your colleagues that uh, should they encounter such person, to not hesitate to make the uh, referral to the necessary psychological uh, institutions that are, could be helpful, such as a psychologist, for instance, uh, and yes. seeking therapy in that instance. Uh, that too is medical uh, routine, medical checkup, or at least medical assistance in that instance. Um, for uh, Nkosi, uh, sorry, uh, Nkosi's question earlier was about. Um, not being proactive and his job being a reason why he's not be, being very active uh, and doesn't live a very healthy lifestyle. Um, talk to us about, in a basic sense, uh, carving out a, a healthy lifestyle. What does that look like? If I only have 30 minutes a day, what do you suggest I do with that time? If you have 30 minutes a day, we need to break it up into your diet, but also to break it up into your um your your activity so if you essentially as i said, mentioned that you don't necessarily have to be doing intense workouts as long as you're walking doing something and you're active then at least it covers sort of the the, the exercise component and then in terms of your diet your diet is is based on your socioeconomic profile so you know you have to limit the basics you know ensure that you don't have food that is high in salt because that can just predispose you to hypertension but also having food that is healthy rich in, in nutrients so anything that can range from an apple having a banana um you don't have to have salads and and and, and having a lot of protein because that's unfortunately not a reality for every South African citizen. So that, that those are the measures that you can take. So you can tailor it based on on your your needs, but also based on your your occupational and personal lifestyle. Yeah, we're gonna have to leave it there, everywhere. Thank you so much for your time this evening. I really do appreciate it.